Why would anyone leave a six-figure salary to follow their passion to do more in their community? Well, that's the question that Kelsey Medard answered for us in our last episode. We talked about her passion, we talked about diversity and inclusion, and we talked about what it takes to actually be equitable in business. I invite you to listen to her episode. But before you do that, listen to this episode with Kevin McDonald. Welcome to Diversity Dish, where we're dishing on everything diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice related. My name is Sidrola Maruska, and we're bridging the gap between what needs to be said and what needs to be heard. Those individual experiences that are often ignored or simply dismissed. Sometimes I'm dining alone, sometimes I'm dining with friends, and sometimes I'm dining a la carte. No matter how I'm dining, it promises to be delicious. Let's dig in. Kevin McDonald is the University of Virginia's Vice President for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Community Partnerships. He joined UVA after serving as the Chief Diversity Officer and Vice Chancellor for Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity at the University of Missouri System and the University of Missouri, Columbia. Prior to the University of Missouri System and flagship campus, Kevin held positions at several other universities, including as Vice President and Associate Provost for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Rochester Institute of Technology, Vice President for Equity and Inclusion at Virginia Tech, and Associate Director for Compliance and Conflict Resolution at Johns Hopkins University. Kevin McDonald holds a law degree from Ohio State University and a doctoral degree in higher education leadership from the University of Rochester. He received his undergraduate degree in psychology from Andrews University in Berrien Springs, Michigan, which is where I had the honor and the privilege of meeting my lifelong friend. Hey, Kevin, it is so good to have you here. How are you? I am doing very well. I re- I'm always reminded when I get asked that question. I used to go to this uh, grocery store when I was in the Maryland, D.C. area, and we would ask this person that um, who worked there, and he would say, yeah. I'm super fantastic, and I'm getting better. So I always wanted that kind of energy when I was at <laughs> I am super fantastic, and I'm getting better. So... <laughs> That's awesome. I, I actually, I love that answer. I might have to adopt that one too. Right. Fantastic. And I'm getting better. Absolutely. <laughs> so the first question I'd like to ask you is, what are you passionate about right now? At this particular moment in time, just given what's happening in our nation and our world, I'm passionate about issues centered on race. I'm passionate about notions of racial equity. I'm passionate about um, eradicating systemic racism and you know, those things that have served as impediments to progress mm-hmm. for Black people for years. Uh, I think I'm passionate about just um, um, leveraging my role, my work, my spheres of influence 
to affect change in the spaces that I occupy. So I will say that that has definitely taken up a lot of airtime in, in my mind, for sure. In addition to like family and everything else. But for me, mm-hmm. for work related, it's definitely centered around issues, longstanding issues of race and utilizing this time, but also my platform to try to uh, identify different outcomes that we can point to and say, wow, you know, in 2020, this was really different in this space that yeah. I occupy at the, at the organization that I worked. The hope that maybe it'll have a, a, a spillover effect to other organizations and that, quite honestly, there will be other people within this space of influence that are also impacting their organizations in the same way. Wow. Isn't it awesome that you get to work in what you're passionate about. I think that that's pretty awesome. Not a lot of people get to do that. No, it's true. Uh, I, I, I was having this conversation with aspiring law students yesterday and they said, well, they wanted me to help them understand how, to, um, how to, they might choose their future employment when they have issues like loans or when they, um, right. when, when what they make might be uh, at, at an issue. And I just told them that, I think that it's so important to do something that they enjoy, that they're passionate about. I always tell people, operate at the intersection of your passion and what you believe your purpose is. And if you do that, then it will never feel work, right? And so I know that there are other issues and obligations that you have from finances or supporting of your family. But oftentimes, if you can do that uh, and you're methodical about it, the the financial support that you're seeking will come. It may not Mm -hmm. be immediate, but it will. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, I count it a tremendous blessing to be able to be in a space that I'm just passionate about. I love the people that I get to serve and impact. I'm driven by the work. So nice. I love it. So is your superpower then tied into your passion? What is your superpower? Yeah. Um, I would say, I guess if I had a superpower, I don't know that I would maybe couch it as a superpower. I'd probably say it feels to me that it's a lost form of interaction and influence, but it's it's my ability, I think, to connect with people and to forge, develop, forge um, lasting relationships. Relationships for me, I think are paramount to success. I just think that uh, from a leadership standpoint, we don't have that same level of investment in relationships. And so oftentimes um, leaders associate productivity with their own level of acumen in the field that they are, but not with the the relationships that they forge and build that quite honestly also have influence. And so for me, I think relationships are paramount. I want people to have met with me, leaving a meeting with me, feeling like they didn't have a meeting, but they, they've had an experience. And, and I think that's just important. I just don't know that we commit to doing enough of that, but I try to do it in a way that people consistently, it doesn't matter if you're a student or a seasoned alum that everybody feels like I've treated them the same and that I'm authentic, that I'm engaged, that I am at times vulnerable, that I don't overpromise and underdeliver, and that I'm visible, right? Uh, and that I care about mm-hmm. what they care about. So mm-hmm. yeah, th- to me, I just feel like that we don't see enough of that. So it feels like this kind of art, uh, for, uh, lost art of, of engagement. Um, but if, I guess yeah. if, there, if that was considered a superpower, then that would be mine. Well, that is a superpower, and I, and I believe that that truly is your superpower. <laughs> I think that we are similar in that fashion. I think that we both are people who connect well with others authentically, 
in a way that allows us to, I don't know, affect change where someone else might not. And so we need a lot of people like you around. So, yeah, like you and me. That's right. <laughs> like us right. <laughs> around. Right. And talking about your tenure. So share something that's happened over the course of your tenure, which means in all in any of the positions that you've had that has happened that people wouldn't normally believe did or can happen, but that actually did happen. And in your position, I think that you probably would have had a solution that came to fruition or maybe not, but. What is something that has happened? Yeah, so I worked at an institution um, a while back and um, there was a provost there. Provost is the top academic leader at the university. So usually the mm -hmm. number two right under the president or the mm -hmm. chancellor. Um, and the, the provost really wanted to do a really good thing. He wanted to build in a, a requirement for all faculty to, in their annual kind of faculty annual reports to report mm -hmm. on diversity, their diversity efforts. Um, so we all were like, wow, this is great. This is real progressive. We were so excited about that. And mm -hmm. a conservative think tank group got a wind of that and kind of blasted the university for doing it. And, <laughs> wow. it, and it went with the public and the president got really skittish and came out with an announcement that they were removing that requirement. The campus just went ballistic. I mean, it was just protests you know, wow. signs that, that the institution doesn't care about black people that, you know, mm -hmm. or diversity. And right. um, there was, there was, um, there was going to be this um, call by faculty, staff and students to the board to go uh, a vote of no confidence uh, in the president. I mean, you know, that oh, they, wow. believe, they no longer believed in the president. And so I was navigating these two spaces, one in as an administrator and mm -hmm. who I, I reported to the president and the president had just told everyone in his cabinet and his top administration that his decision was final and that if right. anyone had a, had a difficult time dealing with his decision, he would accept that resignation on the spot. And <laughs> I was also dealing with a community that I was trying to engage in dialogue with who were probably you know, a little bit skeptical of it, someone in administration you know, to try to see, okay, you know, are, are there any ways that we can engage in dialogue? So I finally got the community to agree to engage with the president uh, mm -hmm. in a dialogue. And so the president, I had encouraged him to come in and just, if he was going to bring any other members of the cabinet, just mix in with the community members. And when he came, he didn't. He kind of formed one line. It was kind of an us versus them. Right. And I remember that there was a spokesperson, a tenured faculty member, who was kind of representing the group and had a, a, just some thoughts and almost like a list of recommendations or demands. And she also had an additional list for the president. And um, so she was going through that list. She gave yeah. the list to the president and the president took it and threw it to the ground. And uh, oh. I was like, oh my goodness. I just saw my life flash before my eyes. Like, oh. and I don't know if we had cell phones at the time, but if so, I would have texted <laughs> I texted my wife and said, look, we need to start looking for another job. <laughs> um, so I waited for what felt like eternity, but probably was just a couple of minutes. And I told the president to remember when we were together in a one-on-one -on -one conversation that I said he had to really invest in a way that was not adversarial, in a way that was going to give this the best opportunity to kind of get important stories on the table. And 
it would yeah. be hard to do that or imagine doing that if he starts out in this adversarial way by throwing us on the ground. So I'm going to ask him to do what's um, going to be uncomfortable for him, but it's also uncomfortable for me to ask, and that is I'm going to ask him to pick up the paper pick it up. And, ask, yep, and ask the representative if we could start again. And um, it seemed like another eternity, but it probably was another couple of minutes, but he did pick it up and the person did start over and it ultimately resulted in close to a million dollars in annual support to support diversity. I mean, we ultimately right. were able to kind of negotiate and move forward. And so, yeah, so, um, it, it definitely was a, 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 a learning experience for me about navigating issues of conflict and constituents and communities uh, w when it comes up. Uh, yeah. but I'm grateful again for the exposure to it. Uh, I wasn't at the time, but uh, <laughs> I reflect back on it. Uh, it was, um, it was an experience that I learned a lot from, and it, it, it's, it's continued to help shape who I am. I don't, I don't run from conflict. I don't. I feel like I'm, right. I'm battle tested, right? <laughs> so I always, <laughs> every place I go now, I treat it. I tell them it's like my Frank Sinatra approach because if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. So uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. So, but it was definitely, it was definitely an experience that many don't believe, you know, until you tell them like, wow, that really could happen. So. Right. And I think, you know, first I have to commend you for, you know, standing up and saying and being in that space and being that very uncomfortable space of saying, look, this is not going to work. So this is what you need to do. But then having him go ahead and do it, that is something. One of the things that I tell people a lot is when you're in this space, when you're learning about true diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, co-conspirators, social justice, when you're learning about these things and you're learning something about the history of this co country and the, the systems that are in place, it's uncomfortable. It's gonna be uncomfortable. But learning to navigate that discomfort, which is what I think you just said with that story is, allows you to then feel a little battle-tested feel like you can go for the next step, feel like you can go for the next thing because, okay, I did that. I didn't die, <laughs> you know, it didn't kill me. I'm still yeah. here. So I can take that next step and, and, and right. keep going, right? Yeah, I think you have to lean in, right? It's just important to kind of lean into those situations. I think organizations are inherently conflict averse. And so um, when right. or conflicts arise, it's just... Uh, natural default to try to sweep it under the rug and not deal with it because you're not you don't feel equipped um, to deal with it so I actually think it's um it's important to people to kind of have those tools in their toolbox right to be able right. to navigate those situations when they arise uh, and to be able to lean into that situation to see what you can do to create meaningful dialogue to resolve it it's not easy but it is definitely necessary and it's definitely that's what moves the needle Comfort doesn't move the needle, right? right? That's true. <laughs> Everybody just stay in their comfort zone, be comfortable, get back to status quo, quote unquote. That's not what makes change. What makes change is the discomfort. So in your opinion, what opportunities do you feel are missed when it comes to companies being more diverse, equitable, or inclusive? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the probably uh, the inclusion uh, and inclusive part of that um, yeah. equation. I mean, I think companies for a very long time 
you know, looked at uh, diversity as a moral imperative, right? It's the right thing to do, but didn't right. actually associate it with their bottom line, meaning that if I can have a, a more diverse organization, if I can have these diverse perspectives and leverage right. those uh, in a way that's inclusive, I can actually be more productive and increase right. my earning potential or productivity. I mean, so I, um, so that's, I think a, it's, a, it's an opportunity now that more organizations are leaning into for sure. Uh, I would right. say number one. And then the, the inclusion part of that, this notion of, you know, diversity is, I, I define it broadly as the various mix of combinations of human differences, but inclusion is ultimately how are we leveraging, optimizing, utilizing those differences um, right. in ways people possessing them feel valued and respected and engaged, but also in ways yes. that move the organization forward. So again, this notion of actually leveraging them, because I don't think anyone should have to check they, who they are when they enter these working environments on a, on a daily basis, right? To just right. assimilate into the culture of, of the organization. So if they can bring their whole selves to work in ways that they feel valued and respected and leveraged for the skills, talents, and abilities that they possess, and that is making you one very strong and productive organization. So I just think that's something that companies need to be engaged with more and just see the connection and see how that leverages to impact their bottom line. And then build in accountability measures with leaders in the organizations for both as metrics, right? What are the leaders doing to actually utilize those perspectives and differences within their units to move the organization forward and impact the bottom line? Right. I, I talk about that a lot too. Um, in my workshop, I say, you know, the cost of the cost, just the sheer cost of racism is incredible to companies and to, to everyone, really. People think that, oh, well, it doesn't affect me because I am not part of a marginalized group. I am not part of the quote unquote diverse group. But it does affect you because when it affects your company, when it affects the productivity, when it affects the innovation, it affects you. It affects us all. And so let's say we hired someone who is, so we talk about diversity. When I talk about diversity, I'm just not talking about racial diversity. I'm talking about gender and ableism and religious and you know that sort of diversity the whole gamut that it could be so let's say we hired someone who was let's say we hired a jewish person how could we make a space more inclusive for them because we know that culturally they have holidays in which they can't work they have they might have a different diet, certain things like that. So how are ways that we could actually be more inclusive? Yeah, you know, you know, some um, organizations have what they would call um, uh, a type of inclusion calendar, right? And so in addition to a kind of a company calendar, it would actually mark those notable uh, holidays depending on the kind of religion or, or, or beliefs that, that that may exist, not just in the organization, but in our world. And mm -hmm. um, and what they would have is a key that would um, note dietary restrictions or note meeting restrictions in case that there are certain members within the organization that might have and hold that belief or, or faith um, that might be required to eat differently or might be required to not be able to attend meetings so that they um, don't 
necessarily hold a meeting on that day or may not um, right. offer items if there is a meeting that would be against whatever the dietary restrictions might be for that day. So um, I am appreciative of organizations that are really intentional about that because one of the, the worst things that you can do as an organization is, you know, say that you're inclusive, um, but mm -hmm. ultimately your actions don't match your rhetoric, right? And so mm -hmm. in that regard, you know, you'll have all sorts of meetings, you know, on a Jewish holiday or, you know, mm -hmm. not some of the same dietary restrictions that might need to take place um, because of, of what uh, Jewish colleagues might be, you know, adhering to on that particular day. So I just think that inclusion, again, has to be more than, you know, a statement on an organization's website or a job description, but it actually has to be right. so that any member of your community says, no, they really kind of walk the talk and here's how I know that, right? And so sometimes there are some great inclusion calendars, diversity um, and inclusion calendars that will actually give a summary of the holiday itself, uh, its meaning, dietary restriction keys and meeting keys, which I think is can be incredibly valuable because not everybody can memorize, right, all of those of course. It's important right. to be able to reflect back when you're thinking about a meeting, you could look at that and say, okay, yeah. we're thinking about this particular date, oh, we can't do that um, because it's Rosh mm -hmm. Hashanah, you know, or, mm -hmm. or something else. So, yep. Wow, I've, I've never heard of that. And I think that that is a brilliant idea because then, like you said, you don't have to check part of you at the door when you come into work. You can bring your whole self and say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't go to that meeting because of this and that. And then other people in the organization could go, oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I failed to check our calendar or yes, let's, what day works better? And that goes to equity, right? Giving people what they need in order to be successful in what it is that they're doing. Right. I think, I think there are too many negative connotations attached to the words diversity and equity and inclusion when there really doesn't need to be. It's really just taking people as they are and saying, oh, what are your needs? I mean, isn't that what we do normally? I mean, especially when we're trying to be, make friends or we have people come to our house and say, hey, you know, would you like a drink? Oh, I'm not, I don't drink. Oh, that's okay. I have seltzer or I have juice I have you know tea what 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 can you drink what would you like we accommodate so that we can be friends and we can learn and we can ask oh so you don't drink is that a religious per preference you know whatever the case may be but it just brings dialogue I think I agree yeah so I I like that idea of the, the calendar that sounds good so you and I are sitting on the back porch two years from now, and we're having a conversation. We're celebrating. We're celebrating something that has happened. What do you think has happened in the educational landscape regarding equity, diversity, inclusion that would have us celebrating on the back porch? Uh, I think we probably have a, more than a critical mass of institutions, predominantly white institutions, that are leaning in and grappling um, intentional ways with their kind of racist past, with their history with regard to slavery, similar right. to UVA, uh, similar to institutions like Princeton has done recently. But I think we'll have more institutions, many more now, um, that have said, you know what, the time is now. We have to do it. And I, 
I think that is significant because a, a year ago, there's no way even just a, just a year ago that we would have <laughs> thought about a critical number of institutions, even UVA um, yeah. grappling with it like that. So I think there will be um, just consistently more institutions. I mean, I, I heard from a colleague at Auburn, they're doing it. I heard from a colleague at Michigan State, they're doing it. I mean, nice. it is happening. And so that, again, to your point uh, and line about kind of ripples and waves, <clears throat> um, it's just, it's, it's heartwarming to see. It's so important. Oh, and it's the easy default is when you have what we call a diversity crisis or something that happens to ignite right. things. Right. Some people try to wait it out and say, well, let the dust settle and then we can go back to the way things were. And I just think we're having, the where the conversations are now, by and large, a lot of institutions are like, we can't go back to the way things were. Mm -hmm. Like we have to do something in this moment. So I, I do think that will be a significant piece moving forward. I think just given the age of COVID as well right. and um, its own disproportionate impact, yeah, you know, to, to historically marginalized communities, I just think that we're also going to have a, a lot, are going to be a, a number of kind of hybrid, virtual hybrids. I just think virtual pieces are going to be here to stay as well. So I think that I, I, higher education or, or beyond, I just think that um, it's just going to be more, much more commonplace for kind of the thinking of virtual, not just virtual classes, but you know, instead of having maybe a, a number of speakers that just fly, take time to come to the institution, I think, you you know, they're going to be speaking from their, wherever they, they're located currently. I just think it's going to be an easier way, much more accepted form to, to do and engage. Yeah, I agree with you. I tend to agree with you. You know, my husband's a professor and he's been home since March, of course, since everybody was told to go home and work from home. And now he's going well, you know, maybe I should do more of my classes this way. Let me find out if I could do it this way because it works well for him. He, you know, he has MS and getting around, it's a challenge, but it's not as challenging as it's going to be. But I'm like, you know, looking down the line, that may be what works for you. You know, being able to just do it online and you do it well, you do it, you engage your students because, you know, he's a, theater major, undergrad, so he's always trying to find ways to engage the students, so he incorporates some of his theatrical background, so oh, it's, <laughs> but yeah, so here's a question I have for you, and I've heard some murmurings back and forth about it, is that as more institutions, more schools, and more co companies are looking to do or have someone on campus or in the company that is working on diversity, equity, and inclusion, should that be a space that is exclusively racially diverse? Meaning, oh, I, yeah, I got, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say no. I don't. I don't think so. I don't. It's not one of those spaces that should just be reserved. Particularly, the more that we are uh, tr truly being a, an inclusive organization in general, and and opportunities for these type of leadership roles in general are, are hopefully becoming much more diverse. Um, I think it should be a space just reserved for people who are really truly invested and engaged um, in that work. I think it, it just so happens that there is a benefit for me at least as an African-American and, and I'm engaging particularly in some of our communities of color 
there is um, an e easier form of, again, of gaining access initially right. as one that can either understand or empathize um, with some of the insights that they're going to share on their own lived experiences that has been helpful. But I have, I um, work with some amazing and have, and have colleagues across the nation with some amazing practitioners in this field, scholars in this space who are awesome, who are wonderful. And I would go into kind of battle with them 10 times out of 10. So I, I think right. it's reserved to people who are truly authentically passionate about this work, dedicated to this work, and are not trying to live for the moment. I've been in this work in this space for 20 years. And I remember, yeah. uh, I remember with a, a boss that I had, a, a, a great friend and mentor too, when I was at Johns Hopkins University, he said, well, Kevin, you, you'll probably want to look for another field because this, this diversity thing will probably phase out. As <laughs> I was like, wow, you think so? So we always laugh about it now because I was like, phase out? It is probably quadruple since then. <laughs> um, so, you know, there is such an important need. And with every new crisis, it almost solidifies the importance of our, of our work and, and the importance of this role. So I think what's most needed is just people who are dedicated, who are creative and innovative, who are savvy and understand how to navigate organiz complex organizational environments, for sure. And I, like I said, who are relationship-driven and just authentic and transparent. I just think those, those are the people we need consistently, no matter what you know, identity they are. Right, nice. Okay, so if you were, if you were to step into my shoes right now, is there something that I did not ask you that you would like to have been asked? And if so, please go ahead and answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would, I would, I, this is my Oprah moment. I'm so excited. Um, uh, yeah, you know what? If I was if I was in your shoes right now, I would say, Kevin, and you get a car, and you get a car. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let me let me where, call Oprah. My, right, Oprah. Where's my gift? Right for coming on your show. No, 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 no. It was good. I I enjoyed it, and and hopefully, those who listen to this experience that you're offering and providing for the world will uh, enjoy it as well. So hopefully I've offered something that, that will resonate with people. Oh, I'm sure you have. My goal, my goal is to simply share the conversations, share the information and also the solutions, the suggested solutions, and then just to get people's minds working towards what they may be blind to, because we're all blind to certain things that don't impact our lives directly. And so what they may be blind to and saying, oh, wow, okay, so now how do I, how can I be a force for change in that area or with that situation? So when, when the time comes that we lose you, Kevin, which I hope is a long ways away, what is one thing you want people to remember about you? What is it, what is it that you would like for them to say about you? Yeah, I think that um, I was a person with the utmost integrity, that I cared about people to the day that I died, that I passed, I, that I lived life authentically, uh, that I was humble and modest. I, I think if I, if, if, I, if I had those consistent words mentioned about my life's work, then um, I, would be sati I would be satiated to the tilt, you know? I, I mean, I, I think that... I live my life for that. Like I don't, I'm, yeah, I'm not into titles and roles. I, I I'm, I'm into impact and just authentic relationships and 
caring about and serving people. I'm definitely a servant leader for sure. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I just want yeah. people to reflect on, and it's tough being in administration because you know you have, I mean, it's tough. You know, in my own community, you could have some people who say, well, you know, we don't know. He's a member of administration, so is he down or is he an Uncle Tom, right? Right. Is he is he the House Negro, right? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but you also uh, and you have skepticism as well. You know, with anyone, it could be based on your predecessor or based on their assumptions attached to the role. But I just want people to know that you know I just care deeply about this work and that I'm just just authentically dedicated to trying to positively um, impact the lives of others and work collaboratively and bring a collaborative spirit to do it, right? I love it. I love it. Well, I think you're on the right track. And I think that you've always been that person. So I think that people will say those things about you. And so my final question, which I like to ask all of my guests is, what is your favorite dish and why? Well, it's going to be weird to say, I think. It's okay. But my favorite dish is culture, right? So, I mean, I have this cross. um, My father's Jamaican. My mother's Bermudian. So my father has rice and peas. My mother has peas and rice. But rice and peas (laughs) is is a starch dish, right? But it's my favorite dish, I think, just because I feel like I perfected it, right? I mean, that's, I'm born, I was born in in Cleveland, Ohio, right? And so, you know, sometimes they question my Jamaican roots, right? So I got to bring it up, you know what I mean? With my my coconut milk, you know, my my gungu peas, my pigeon peas, and a little bit, you know what I mean? And they, they, you can make your oxtail or your jerk chicken, but watch when I bring the starch dish out. Look at that, look at that. So yeah, that's my, um, that's my, that's my, uh, that's my one favorite. Yeah, that's your one. Oh my uh, goodness. Well, that's I right. Noticed, I, I know it's my, 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 my favorite because even when my daughters come in town, I'm like, Dad, are you going to make rice and peas? I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, I got you. I got you. It's one of those I know I can at least pass that recipe down. Like they want me to teach them how to do it. They that's don't right. care. You know, they don't care about my other vegan stuff, but they care about that one. <laughs> They're like, they're like, no, please, don't, not that stuff. This, this right, one right that, here. Let's just, just do this one. We'll be yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. <laughs> That's awesome. When you let them know that you've got that blood running through you and you can, you can throw it down. Right. That's right. I will. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kevin, for being on. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, my friend. It was great yeah. hanging with you as always. I'm, I'm, I've been so just pleased to just see your growth and your impact in our nation and world is with whatever you take on to do, you do it and you do it, you know, with a drive and determination and nobody's going to stop you. So I love to see you playing in this diversity, equity, inclusion space. I look forward to seeing what you do in the, the years ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I've, I've got some plans, so we'll see. <laughs> Thank you. Have All a right. great day and, you know, hug, love, and kisses to you. Bye and see your girl. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, family, as well. Hey, did you enjoy that episode? If so, remember to subscribe, download, rate, review, and share because it's really no fun if your friends don't know what you're talking about. Make sure to join us next time when we'll be talking to Goddess.